Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts Kyle Morse and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 54, our Christmas special 2021. Merry Christmas, Dakota. Merry Christmas, my brother. How you doing? I am doing great. It is... Uh, we're two days away from Christmas recording this, and so uh, we'll we'll go ahead. It'll be the Christmas Eve when we post it, so uh, we hope that you all have a Merry Christmas and that you get to spend time with loved ones, family, friends, and uh, Dakota, what, what's going on for Christmas with you? Well, we are going to be here this year, and uh, which is a big relief to me because normally we travel during Christmas and with four children. I need to keep my sanity. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't make traveling easy. No, it doesn't. Uh, not that we won't travel again in the next 20 years, but uh, for now, <laughs> we're going to be home. <laughs> no, my parents are going to come and they're visiting us. So, of course, I've got to preach. I have the opportunity. The Lord has given me to preach on Christmas Eve and then again on the 26th. And then after that, we're going to head to Arkansas after the Christmas holiday for uh, Shannon's grandparents get this 75th anniversary. They're in their wow. mid, mid-90s. Wow. Yeah, their 75th anniversary party. So cousins are going to be there. Uh, you know, Shannon's brothers are going to be there. All the cousins that Shannon could possibly know, they're all there. So uh, it's going to be an awesome time. So a little bit of traveling, but not too far. Yeah, not traveling for Christmas, but I'll travel directly after Christmas. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, we're we're staying here. Uh, last year we went to Arizona, but my parents are moving here in January, so we'll go ahead and hold off on celebrating with my parents and find another time to go out to Arizona next year, just a vacation to see other family. And so, yeah, I haven't spent too many Christmas times away from my parents. I don't even know if I've spent one, even when I've lived in other places, I usually go home. I have missed Thanksgivings in the past, but not Christmas. So this will be a little different for Christmas Day. It'll be probably the most different ever, but I will be with my wife and my son and my mother-in-law, and we'll still do the whole Christmas thing and hang out and uh, make new traditions in our new home and just enjoy each other. I, I'm I'm excited for just a time to relax and a time to see my, my son who will be two coming up in March. He's kind of at, he's not at the age where he knows what Christmas is or, or what's going to happen. He, right, he's not going to go to bed on Christmas Eve night excited about the next day because he has no idea what's happening, but to see the excitement on his face the next day, just of of opening presents and spending time together and and doing and just hanging out and having fun. Uh, those are my memories. He may not remember, uh, but I will, and I will cherish those. So I hope that all of you listening uh, get to have some great memories this Christmas. And I know that that's not always the case. Uh, there are times where we're going to have uh, Christmas or any holiday where uh, there's there's things that happen during the holidays, whether that's a death of a family member or just bad things that have happened that it's not always the best, but the one thing that we can celebrate is the birth of Jesus Christ and our Savior. And brings us really into this special episode we're doing apart from the book of Mark. Yeah, actually, we're going to stay in the Gospels, though, and we're going to be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter one. And we hope that this passage today really brings hope, even if you're having a tough time during these holidays. Yeah, just as a disclaimer, we're going to have a conversation over this passage, but this is the same passage 
that I'm going to be preaching from on Christmas Eve here at our candlelight service. So if we post this and you're part of our church, uh, just be aware of that. That way, you know, if you're like, oh, I, I don't want to hear the same message twice, that's totally fine. Uh, but if you're a part of the community here in Ottawa and you're unable to make our services, or if you're just listening from abroad, we pray that our conversation here in the scripture would bless you. Yeah. So Dakota, could you pray for us before we begin? Yeah. Father, we just ask you right now in Jesus' name to help us to cling to the power of the Holy Spirit in this discussion as we make much of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A good question that I want to lead and start this podcast with is, does your family have history? You know, maybe you belong to a family of rich tradition. Maybe like I just a moment ago spoke about my wife's family. She's got many cousins. Maybe you're always going to family reunions. There's a real sense of warmth and vitality. Uh, Or maybe it's the opposite, right? Maybe the opposite is true. You belong to a family filled with scandal and sin and divorce and divisiveness and brokenness. Really what we want to open up with is this discussion about, hey, regardless of family history, God can make much of it. And that's kind of where we're going with this passage in Matthew chapter 1. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're going to look, and if you've read Matthew chapter 1, you're going to know that there's a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 oh, yeah. of a lot of Jewish names that Dakota's going to read, Shalom. because I would butcher all of Yahudi, them, probably, besides Ahava. probably besides Ram. Hashem. I'm good with Ram. That's that's an easy one. Yeah, not, like Dodge Ram. Like Dodge Ram. Yeah. I can get that. A David. I've got that one. That yeah. one's easy. It's actually a David. I see. So you I got it messed wrong. it up. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to let... I'm going to let Dakota read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, and I'll read 18, I'll read 18 through uh, 25, yeah, uh, because that's way easier and there's no weird names. It's like Mary and Joseph and pretty easy. <laughs> so what the original question is, does your family have history? We're now going to tackle verses 1 through 17, and you have to keep that question in mind. Um, does Jesus's family have history? And I don't mean history in the sense like, did they exist? That's not the question. Did Jesus's family had a type of history that was marked by brokenness? Yeah. We're about to see. Yeah, let's get into it. So verse one, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, or Avraham. There's some Hebrew again. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron and Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, 
Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. And Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations yet again. And from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. So in those 17 verses... You didn't even congratulate me, by the way. I feel really hurt by that. Just, you know, I went through all the trouble to read those names. Yeah, I'm glad you feel good about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. In those 17 verses, we see a number of individuals whose names are given. And if you have any type of familiarity with the Old Testament, you recognize, oh, yeah, uh, maybe a quarter to half of those names are really famous and popular. Like, I get it. It's really interesting because only one person in the genealogy is called the king, that's David, when the rest of these guys, who were kings themselves, they weren't called kings. But then you also get these depictions of some names that you see and you raise an eyebrow, like, oh, oh, that was a bad king. Oh, yeah, that was not a good situation. Oh, that person was pretty decent, right? So your initial thoughts, Kyle, I'm going to flip it back over to you, verses 1 through 17. We see this depiction of Jesus coming from a real human line. What are you seeing? What are you noticing? Yeah, I mean, we see some interesting things in here, and we see something that's not typical in a genealogy of Hebrew tradition, and that is that there are women listed within this genealogy. So the wives or the mothers of of these men <laughs> that come. And so that's that's weird. We have, uh, if you look in here, starting in verse 5, uh, we have Rahab. Mm-hmm. We well, you have, missed one, verse 3, Tamar. Oh, verse 3, Tamar. So we have Rahab, we have Ruth, and then we'll have Bathsheba as well. Uh, uh, and so it's this interesting thing where we see these women, and, and what what do we see in these women and in their lives? Why would they be listed? What was what would be the point of of pointing them out? The other thing that's pointed out is somebody who's not related to any of these people when they, when they talk about Bathsheba is it actually tells the name of her husband prior to her husband's death in which David um, had taken Bathsheba. And so, it, and we'll read a little bit about that in, yeah. in, in Samuel. So, But we, we just see these interesting details that Matthew added, and I think we all have to ask our question, why? Those are the things that point out that kind of break up the monotony of just name after name after name. That's a really good point. You asked the right question, and that's something that I could even keep in mind before I, I preach this message for the Christmas Eve services. Why does this matter? Like, really, the reason why this genealogy matters is for a few reasons. Number one, it shows that Jesus has the resume, the lineage, to be the rightful king of Israel. Uh, he's got to have that. But it also goes to show you God's heart is to use people to bring about the Messiah, whether they be broken or not. And then that Messiah will 
also come to save those same broken people that God used. So as you look through this genealogy, it's like, okay, we are, we're seeing indications of, yeah, there's some righteous fellows here in the genealogy, but there's actually a lot of scandal and there, there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of sin involved in it as well. Yeah, we we see these women here who aren't even Israelites. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of them are labeled as prostitutes. Uh, yeah, Tamar, a Canaanite prostitute. Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. Ruth would have been associated with the Moabite tradition, which is known for their incestuous relationships. Not that Ruth committed those acts, but she came from a scandalous place. Yeah, and then the situation between David and Bathsheba was scandalous. <laughs> oh, that was, it was just dark. It was. It was a very dark time for, for David, and the consequences were real uh, that came from that. Uh, but yeah, and then we see two other major players here um, outside of Jesus, right? He's he's the top. <laughs> but we see Abraham, and then we see David, those are the two that that probably most people have heard of, even if you haven't spent too much time in church or reading the Bible, is Abraham, the father of Israel, and then King David, who actually was able to uh, take all the land of Israel um, at the, the only time that that's happened uh, because of God giving it to him and allowing him to be king. And so, and and then the promise of the Messiah coming from the line of David. So there's these two major players. What are what are the promises that I kind of mentioned one, but there are some promises that God gave both of these men that would happen through their lives? Yeah, well, first we can just start in chapter one, verse one, yet again, like the subscript of it all. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Like those are the two prominent figures that Matthew wants you to see in this this lineage, this genealogy. So first he starts with the son of David, who, by the way, David existed after Abraham. Like Abraham is mentioned in Genesis 12, but you don't get to David until like a couple books down the road, like first and second Samuel, you know. But Matthew wants you to associate Jesus, especially with King David and especially with Abraham. Yep. Specifically 14 generations. Yeah, specifically 14. From Abraham to David. Right. So with that being said, here's something significant about David. David was seen as the most famous king in all of Israel's history. I mean, when you spoke about David, you spoke about the glory days of the nation. If you were a first century Jewish individual reading this text and Matthew, you know, you're writing what Matthew wrote, the first thing you'd be inclined to think about is, wow, yeah, that was was the glory days of our nation. The exact same thing for us in today's modern day world. If you speak to an American about George Washington or Abraham Lincoln and you hear those names, you think to yourself, yeah, that's what America's all about. Uh, you know, you, it brings you back to the, the pastime of the nation and it makes you have positive thoughts. David also was promised by God that one would come forth specifically from his lineage who would sit on his family's throne for the rest of eternity. So when you think about David, you don't just think of the past and all the glory that it held. You're also thinking futuristically, oh, wait a minute, is this going to be the Messiah? That's what Matthew's trying to kind of prod you to think about. Then you, oh, go ahead. You're going to say something else. 
No, I was just going to say with seeing this this history from from Abraham all the way to David and then David there's all the way to Jesus there's a lot in between. Yeah, we yeah, we see Abraham and how important Abraham is and how important David is and we saw we see all these men and women in between. We see generations go by. Some did good things, some didn't do good things. Exactly. Um and 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 I really want to give a little bit of just kind of hope here because I I look at maybe today, maybe today you feel like man this is one of those generations that it's just not going well right now, <laughs> and you're just kind of kind of stuck there and you're not like man I really wish I lived during a different time or I wish I this happened or this that would happen, uh, but the reality is throughout all of these generations, God was active and moving. And continued to fulfill his promises and continued to give hope of a coming Messiah. The great thing about today is that the Messiah has already come in current day. We're looking at a different hope, a hope for the future in which Jesus returns. God is still working in the generations of today, in his people today in the church. Yeah, we don't necessarily have specific people pointed out like the like the Israelites had, um, and and not really able to look back. We're able to look back on men like Paul and guys who who wrote the Bible, the apostles. We're able to look back on theologians uh, or modern day evangelists like Billy Graham. You know, they followed God's promises that He gave to us. They may not have been uh, fulfilling promises in the sense of what these men were doing, but God promised us a Savior. That Savior came, and now we can look back and say, we need to continue the work that Jesus, you know, in the, He finished and said, now, until I come again, complete the kingdom by going and telling people about me so they know me and fulfill that. And so maybe you're thinking, what what's so special about my family? I don't come from a a royal line of of Israel. Yeah. I don't come from a royal line of anything. I'm actually no one knows my family. In fact, people know my family for bad stuff, for things that we we don't really feel good about. Maybe you have family history that dates back to some terrible things that have happened in this world and you're ashamed of it. There's some shameful things that happen in this line. David did shameful things. He took a man's wife, made plans and murdered him to take to continue to take her and then and, and take her as his wife. So that's a terrible thing, but David was also known as a man after God's own heart. God loved David and David loved God. And there were so many times where God was faithful to David and Dave and David was faithful to God and obedient. So just because sin is there, just because bad things happen doesn't mean God doesn't love you. No, in fact, he loves you so much that he sent his son that we're talking about here. He sent Jesus because he loves you so much. So if you're kind of looking at your family and you're looking at this and saying, oh, what a great line of of family and generations that have uh, resulted in the coming Messiah, well, that Messiah came for you. This This lineage here existed for you so that Jesus could come and die for your sin so we are connected in some way to this genealogy because of the the promise that Jesus has given us. We are part of his family, as you mentioned earlier today, uh, and just how hopeful that is. Yeah, we're related definitely in principle mm-hmm. because the very people that Jesus came from is the same type of people that Jesus came to save. And if Jesus came to save them, 
in the past tense, Jesus has came to save us in the futuristic sense, right? So what you see in the examples of these individuals here in this genealogy is the type of people Jesus himself came for. And if I were to just review it again, you know, Tamar, a Canaanite prostitute, Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, uh, Ruth came from an incestuous family, Bathsheba, her name is mentioned, and you get the little extra mentioning of, you know, her husband Uriah before David, uh, insinuating there was something shady that happened there. And, uh, and, and then, by the way, gosh, if you look in verse 10, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king in all of Judah. He, he's actually remembered more than any other king for burning children sacrificially on the altar. Like he led Israel into that type of sin. So if you're looking at the darkness of this genealogy, then you get to Jesus, it's kind of unexpected. Initially, if you're a modern day reader, now you're thinking, man, if he came from, if that's his lineage, then he must also come from me too. Yeah, and it doesn't say David was the father of Jesus. No. It said David was the father of Solomon. Jesus wasn't born right after David. He wasn't born into a palace. He wasn't born in a seat, sitting on the, a physical throne on earth. Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph, a carpenter and a 13-year-old girl. There, there, was no, there was no palace. There was a manger available. There was a, a, a feeding trough to be born into. This is a humble king. This was a king different than King David, even though coming from King David, even though promised that this throne that David sat on would be eternal, his coming into the world was was very different. Um, and and how glorious that is. How much can we see Jesus relating to us as a man because of his entrance into this world? Those are the things that I think about when I think about how Jesus entered. It wasn't under the circumstances of a palace but the circumstances of probably a very low-income, poor family, blue-collar, hardworking, and just not in a place you'd expect the eternal king. Yeah, and doesn't that make his coming all the more beautiful? You know, if he were to just come in some palace and have all of the luxury that you would expect an earthly king to have, what would separate him? But when you take his humble genealogy, and uh, there's some royalty in there for sure, but humble in the, in the sense that there's a lot of brokenness in there. And then you take the humble circumstances of his birth, and then you think to yourself, in spite of all that, angels still came and said, glory to God in the highest, and peace among men with whom he is pleased, right? Like, there... I think it just accentuates his kingship all the more. He doesn't need all that stuff to be seen as king. Why? Because he is the king. And if he is the king by nature, he doesn't need all the surrounding context that every other earthly king would need for them to be reputable or seen publicly. The only thing that Jesus needs is just to enter the world. <laughs> yeah, so Dakota, if you could just summarize quickly before we move on to verse 18, the whole genealogy. If you could put it into a short summary that you could, that somebody could take and explain it to somebody real fast, what, how would you summarize it? Okay, so first I would, 
break up verses 1 through 17 like this. I would say verses 1 through 6 is all about how David's throne is being established even through a humble means. Okay. Next portion, I would say that that throne um, eventually gets deported to another nation and deals with humble circumstances in Babylon. And then that humble throne is confirmed by the coming of Jesus in verses like 12 through 17. So um, I think that's the structure of what we just read. But then thematically, I would also say that this shows us God's heart for Gentiles. It shows us God's heart and, in fact, how he delights to use those on the outside to accomplish his plan and his purposes for salvation. Here we look at these four women and we think to ourselves, man, like God delighted to work in these broken individuals. They got mentioned in Jesus's genealogy and that should humble us. Like we should never be able to say, look at all that I've done. Look at my resume. This is why God uses me for ministry. And in fact, um, like if God chooses to use us, it's just because of his good pleasure. So we look at the nature of the genealogy and I think we should be humbled by it because of who God chooses to use. Something else is God is able to fully preserve and fully protect the family line of Jesus, regardless of who's evil or wicked and good and righteous in that genealogy. It won't stop God from bringing his Messiah to the earth. So there's just a number of takeaways, but if maybe if you had to boil it down to one sentence, it's yet again, God is able to use broken situations and broken people to bring about a perfect Messiah. Amen. Yeah. So that being said, I'm going to kick it over to you. Verses 18 through 25, we saw the human side of Jesus with the genealogy, but now we're going to see the divine side of Jesus and his actual conception and birth itself. Yeah, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus." Yeah, I think the first thing that sticks out to me here, remember, we have just come off of the heels of the lineage or the genealogy, so we can't separate that, right? We can't just take one pearl and throw it aside like a, if you have a beautiful pearl necklace, each pearl is connected to itself. So we move from the humble genealogy, humble royal genealogy, and now we arrive at a circumstance that's very unexpected. And hey, Kyle, the first thing that sticks out to me, honestly, is uh, Joseph himself. Yeah. Um, maybe it's it's because I know the Christmas story and I, I know his first coming. The first thing that probably should grab us is that this child is really of the Holy Spirit. 
this is a, a virgin conception and a virgin birth. That probably should be what grabs my attention. But I'm kind of locking in on Joseph here and his uh, righteousness and compassion for how he deals with Mary. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine Joseph in this situation happening. Like, you're you're getting ready to uh, marry a woman, and you find out she's pregnant. Well, we uh, we didn't have sex, so that can't be my child. So what do I do? Am I going to call this off uh, and and slander her name and slander her family, or am I going to do this quietly and just you know try to move on? And it seems like Joseph here by the text says he was going to do this quietly, so it showed his uh, it showed his character. Joseph was a man who who didn't want to hurt Mary. I believe that he loved the Lord, and he was going to do this in a quiet way that wouldn't cause any more problems or drama and, and try to almost protect Mary, even in a place where he felt like he was, um, you know, where he, he was lied to. But then he has, he has a, a dream, and an angel comes to him from the Lord and tells him what's really going on. And uh, he wakes from this dream and immediately follows the Lord, he follows the command of the Lord. And, and there's, no, there's not even a sentence in here of him questioning it. Uh, and, and maybe he did, I'm not, you know, but it's not in the text. Uh, so it seemed like he did. He was just obedient to God and, and followed what the angel said. And so it intrigued Joseph's story and, and perspective intrigues me. It also intrigues me because he's given the name of Jesus, and Mary was not, and that he was to name him Jesus. It almost, uh, God almost gave Joseph this like special part in this, this responsibility. Yeah, as a father, and to say, you're going to give him the name Jesus. Not that Joseph got to pick the name, but he was the one that got to deliver the message of the Messiah, and his name would be Jesus. Yeah, which means Yahweh saves. Yeah. God saves. So I, th- I think that all of those things about Joseph intrigue me and knowing that he had to be a pretty humble guy to take on the fatherhood of the of the one true son, even though biologically it wasn't not his his child, but it did come from the Lord and he was willing to listen and obey. I think I connect with Joseph a little bit here and it's important to just say exegetically the passage is not about Joseph. No. The passage involves Joseph. Yeah. But I do, I think of my stepdad. You know, I, I come from a broken family situation. My uh, parents were divorced before, no, probably just after I turned one year, one years old. And then my stepdad stepped into my life probably around the age of two and a half, three, somewhere around there. And due to the broken situation of the family divorce and my mom and my dad, I really needed a solid male figure in the home. Now, I love my dad and I love my stepdad, so that's not what this conversation is about. But years ago, things just weren't very peaceful. And it's amazing how my stepdad stepped into the situation and loved me as his own son. Hey, there's a country song out right right now. Do you know the song I'm talking about? Yes, I do. How's that song go? It's like it's about loving his stepson. Yeah, uh, essentially 
that it, it doesn't matter if you have my last name or not. It doesn't matter if you look like me. Right. Uh, I'm going to love you anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, I'm going to make every ball game yet and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't matter. He doesn't, doesn't matter that it's not biologically his son. It's not going to change the love and care that he has for, for his son. Yeah. Whenever I hear that song, I get close to tearing up because I think of my stepdad. Yeah. Because my stepdad has always practically loved me and taken me in as his own. And it's just been incredible. So yeah. I, I see the righteousness in Joseph. Uh, you know, the the text goes on to say that he does keep Mary as his wife and he goes through with it. Well, I mean, I, I even think of that song. I, I mean, I think it, uh, it brings me to tears in the sense that, that I'm an adopted son by God. Yeah. That he loves me. And, uh, and, and he, he sent his son to die for me so that I can be in his presence someday because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So there is that, that connection to that song spiritually. You can even connect to it in your life today, depending on your family situation. But I just think that's a powerful song to love somebody that may not necessarily be a part of your family, but to take them in as part of your family. You and I were having a conversation before we recorded, um, about having brothers or about having people in your life that, you know, really, they're not related to you, but you love them just as much as family. Uh, I don't have a brother. I have a sister and I love her very much. Um, but I have a son and, uh, and we found out that uh, we are having another baby and it's going to be a boy and, uh, he's going to have a brother. And so yeah, I talked about that with Dakota as like, I don't, I don't have a biological brother, but I do have some unbiological brothers. <laughs> I have Dakota. Uh, I have, I have cousins, uh, that, that are really close. Uh, and I have, uh, you guys have heard from Caleb on the podcast and Andrew, those guys are like brothers to me, um, as, as close as it can be without being biological. And so, um, you know, you see this, uh, picture play down in the gospel of God sending his son, and that's what this passage is about. God sending his son to die on the cross for us and for us to be adopted into that family by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and those are the things that I get emotional about because I get emotional about anything between my dad and I because I love my dad very much and I love spending time with him and he's moving here and I get to spend more time with him and he gets to be in in my son's lives and that's more important to me than anything else. Uh, and those are the things that bring me to tears that get me choked up because those are the things that are important in life because of what Jesus has done. Those things can be, those things are magnified in my life because I know why it's happening and who did it and who's blessing me. And that is God. So the coming Messiah, Jesus being born, we see the lineage, his genealogy, the sin that has taken place, the broken people that God has used to bring a Messiah into the world. Uh, I don't know a better way for God to orchestrate it because you have to respond to that in some way. You have to respond to Jesus' coming. It's almost like the lineage prepares you for this story of Joseph and Mary because you've got some scandalous stuff going on with Tamar, some scandalous stuff in Rahab's past. Um, even, even with Ruth and the brokenness that came, you know, like, why did she marry some, um, dude from Bethlehem who moved to Moab that that's odd and different. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course everybody knows the situation with Bathsheba, 
Matthew is bringing up for you these broken situations. Then you get to a situation where it can at least appear as if it's a broken situation between Joseph and Mary. I mean, Joseph could have divorced her publicly and humiliated her. He could have divorced her quietly and sent her away in compassion. But a part of me thinks, yeah, even if he planned that, who who would not ask him the question, where's Mary, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if he does marry Mary, then who in their right mind wouldn't remember, oh yeah, that couple, they, they had a child out of wedlock kind of thing. It's almost like regardless of how Joseph took it, sorry for the language, but you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. And we know from John chapter 8 that when the Pharisees were challenging Jesus, I think it's like John 8, 48 or 38, somewhere in there. When the Pharisees were challenging Jesus, they make allusion to the fact that he came from uh, um, uh, his mother out of wedlock, excuse me. So because those things are true, I just wonder what Joseph and Mary went through uh, by way of their reputation, like throughout their life. But what God is showing is, hey, you have broken situations in the lineage, but this situation here may appear broken. Actually, it's a work of my own. And that's incredible to me. It is. It's incredible. Um, Kind of closing things up, you know, continuing on kind of with this idea of family. Uh, All of us come from somewhere, uh, a family of some kind, even if you don't even know who they are. Uh, maybe you're adopted or or maybe really your your family's just not around anymore. Uh, maybe you're the last surviving member. Uh, or maybe you have lots of family. It's huge family. Uh, and maybe you're even lost within a big family. Uh, but we all have we all have family and it's all messy in some capacity. And it's messy because of sin. Regardless of how how perfect your family could look or how real messy that it is. It's still been impacted by sin. Um, so I hope that by hearing this message today, this conversation that we've had, this study of this the first chapter in Matthew, that you're able to see that God knows it's messy. It was messy in his family before he came uh, to save us. Uh, there is hope. You can change your circumstances, and that change, change comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, so I, I hope that you hear that. There's a lot of stuff out there that says you to do all these things to get your life to be better. There's tons of junk out there. And there could be little truths in there, but it's not the ultimate truth. The full truth, not just parts of a part of it, but the full truth is that Jesus transforms lives through his blood. Your life will be transformed if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean... If we were to just consider verses 18 through 25 and ask ourselves, what's probably the two biggest things we need to see about Jesus outside of the circumstances and outside of the fact that he's born of a virgin? Well, verses 18 through 21 focus on Jesus's uh, purpose. If you look in verse one, it talks about how Mary will bear a son and you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves, for he will do what? He will save his people, all the broken people. (laughs) He will save his people from their sins. The only way, the only way that you can have peace with God and be made right with him is through Jesus. Then you consider verses 22 through 25. And, you know, you look at this, this prophecy that's fulfilled from Isaiah 7, 14. 
about how the virgin will conceive and bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. This now speaks not just to the purpose of what Jesus did, but how he came to do it. He came to take on human flesh to dwell among us. Look, the the answer to saving broken people, the answer to receiving restoration from God, is to acknowledge the one that God sent here to pay for each and every one of our sins. That is the point of Christmas. Uh, tomorrow night, we're going to be walking through a number of Christmas songs and, uh, you know, trying to just get us to worship the risen Lord. And we're finishing tomorrow's song with Oh Holy Night. And here's the last stanza from Oh Holy Night. Truly, he taught us to love one another. He taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. Anyone in Christ is a part of your family. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Spiritual oppression, circumstantial oppression, governmental oppression. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. You might be broken, but Jesus came to restore. Amen. Thank you all for joining us and listening to the Be Disciples podcast. Thank you, Be Disciples podcast family, for being a part of uh, this ministry. I hope that you're learning and growing and discipling others. I also say thank you to our church, Auto Bible Church, and uh, for listening in and giving us the support uh, to be able to do this. And uh, it's been a, an amazing couple weeks as I've transitioned into full time. So I just want to say thank you uh, to our church for being faithful uh, and allowing uh, ministry to happen here. And so please share this podcast. Uh, we would love for just for more people to hear the gospel. Uh, we do this uh, for fun, uh, but we also do it because we want people to, to learn and grow and actually read the Bible uh, and disciple others. And so just get it out there. Share it on your social media platform. Let people know about it. Uh, We love all of you. Thank you all for listening. And have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.